0: Welcome to Cream, Eggs and Jam,
1: a podcast for food nerds with show and tell by Elise Bulbrook and Scott Bagnell.
0: We love to cook with cream, eggs and jam and learn from food people who give a damn.
1: So join us each week for thoughts, tips and tricks with guests, recipes and more in the mix.
0: Twelve weeks ago, in episode one, I introduced you to my puppy Coco, and she fit on my lap. I could pick her up and show her to the camera. Now she is a twenty kilo dog. She is heavy. She is certainly not a lap dog. That's how far we've come with cream eggs and jams, Scotty Baglow.
1: <laughs> you have grown a dog.
2: <laughs> <laughs> grown
0: a dog. Welcome to episode twelve. It is our season finale. Thank you for listening. I'm Elise Pullbrook and today I'm coming to you from. We're in Drew Country.
1: And I'm Scott Bagnall, and today I'm coming to you from Yuggera Country. And we'd like to start this week like we do every week by acknowledging the traditional custodians and the land in which we're recording this podcast and pay our respects to Elders past and present. It is season finale of Cream Eggs and Jam Season 1. Congratulations, Elise! Cheers. Cheers. We are celebrating this episode by some bubbly things. It's champagne this week. We thought it would be fitting to Mm -hmm. celebrate the season finale, the grand finale of Cream Eggs and Jam Season One, um, yeah. with a little bit of bubbles. Yes,
0: yeah, Scotty, I'm wondering what has been your memorable life experience with a glass of champagne.
1: Oh, isn't food memories are so strong, aren't they? So champagne. Let me think. You know what? I did an amazing holiday i think holidays always have an amazing um experience mm-hmm. and we were in germany I'm trying to think whereabouts in Germany. Anyhow, we're on the border of Germany and France. And so we thought it would be fun to go to France for dinner because that's what you can do in Europe. You can just hop in your car, drive five minutes, and you're a whole different country. (laughs) That never happens in Australia. So the novelty of that alone was pretty memorable. But we crossed the border into France. We went to this amazing restaurant. And down underneath the restaurant was their cellar. And it was this beautiful stone cave. And it was full of prosciutto and all of these beautiful meats, cheeses and these gorgeous wines. And we actually had someone sabre a bottle of champagne in this wine cellar underneath the restaurant for us. And we all cheered and had um, some beautiful cheese, some French cheese and French Mm. champagne in this wine cellar underneath the restaurant it was unbelievable. It was so much fun. I think that would have to be my best champagne memory. What about you? Oh,
0: wow. Look, again, travelling. Again, France. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was travelling alone and did not really have any human connection apart from the conversations that I had with waiters and chefs when I went out for lunch. And... On one particular day, I look, I was saving all of my money to go out for fancy meals and that's all I did. I would spend maybe 30 to 50 euro a day just on a menu du jour mm. and if I saved money, it would go towards the next day's meals. And then apart from that, I was just going for long walks and doing drawing. Crazy human I am. Yes, some people <laughs> say I'm, I'm weird. Anyway, there was a restaurant in Montmartre. I don't pronounce French mm. words well. Again, apologising. And mm. the front of it had a, a windmill reminiscent of like the Moulin Rouge windmill.
1: A gorgeous, yes. Um,
0: so if you were to Google Montmartre restaurant with windmill, you'll probably find it. I know and where you
1: are, I think. Montmartre is where they have all the beautiful artists. They come out and paint mm. and have markets, don't they, in Montmartre? Yes. Yes, mm, I was, yes, I was staying it's in, so a, in cool. an
0: Airbnb in a loft, and um, the restaurant was walking distance from, when I, from where I was staying. And I began my meal with a glass of champagne, and it bubbled for ages. I was mesmerized Ooh. by how long the bubbles were floating from the base of the glass up until the surface. It was just a consistent bubbling until I finished the drink.
1: Oh, I love mm.
0: that. It was gorgeous. I remember everything I ate too. Isn't what that did you amazing? Eat? I was 24. This is at least seven years ago. Oh, you've
1: Dude. got such a good memory.
0: <laughs> 23, 24. The entree was a um, tomato consomme with a burrata. Mm-hmm. Hot or cold? My... Cold.
1: Cold. Mm,
0: yes. I had. Fish for Maine. I had fish everywhere I went, and um, yes. I had like a an herbs de herbs de Provence uh, spiced tomato sauce. And some steamed vegetables. And you'd always get like little bowls of things on the side. So some vegetables that had just been tossed in butter and maybe a whole mm. bowl full of baguette that was intended for two. But as if you're ever <laughs> going to serve a table, like half a, half a serving, you need the bowl to look full. So even if it's just one person, send them out the whole lot. And for <laughs> dessert, it, it was, a, uh, dessert was a ginger and fig tart.
1: Oh yum. Oh yep.
0: so and, good. And then I had a glass of whiskey. That's that <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened that day and I had a great time.
1: Oh yum. Went
0: back to my Airbnb, probably watched a movie. Uh, and that was it. And it was my life on repeat for about a month. <laughs>
1: Mm, I love traveling. I haven't traveled overseas for so long um, with the whole COVID and everything else that's going on at the moment. But I think if you can travel and you have the means to travel, it's Mm. the most incredible thing. It really is. It creates such strong memories and it just opens your eyes up to the incredible world we live in. I think that's one of the the, the things with being in Australia is that I love Australia, but we are so isolated from the rest of the world. Yes. Um, So getting out of the Aussie bubble um, is pretty amazing.
0: Absolutely. Later in this episode, we speak to a wonderful lady named Amanda, who has had family connections in Champagne, which has inspired her life story to become a Champagne specialist.
1: Amanda is a champagne nerd. She knows so much about champagne and uh, she is going to shed some light on some pretty incredible fun facts. And we're going to do a little champagne tasting. She's going to take us through a tasting session, which I'm super excited about. But before we pop our champagne, let's talk about the grand finale of MasterChef season Mm. 14 of this, this year.
0: Cheers. Well done, <laughs> Billy. Well done. What an elite specimen she is.
1: Winning twice. Could you mm. imagine? That is amazing.
0: She's so well put together. Incredibly calm.
1: Ah so calm isn't she like nothing ever rattled her um she just was so thoughtful and composed and didn't let the pressure get to her the the last pressure test that she did for the finale she remade two elements twice um Mm. the pastry she wasn't happy with i thought it looked perfect but she wasn't perfectly happy with it she made that completely again and then the crumble element on top. Wasn't happy with that. Made that again.
0: Well, she was working <laughs> for her old boss in that challenge. So she had that idea of what the standards of perfection would be according to his eyes. So yes, I think there might have been an upper hand in the fact that it was a Heston challenge for Billy knowing that he employed her following her previous MasterChef win. Could
1: you imagine the pressure of that, butt? So you're in grand finale, pressure mm. number one. You are cooking for Heston Bloomingfold, number two. Mm. And then number three, like he was your old boss. And so you, you. there's an extra level of wanting to impress, is there not, in terms Absolutely. of that? Absolutely,
0: yeah. I can't <laughs> help but wonder what was going on in the minds of the producers choosing this challenge in advance of knowing who would be in the finale, perhaps. <laughs> well, they, <wouldn't laughs> they have known. would
2: have
1: They would have had you to know. have booked Heston months yeah. and months and months in advance. You don't just call yeah. Heston up and go, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Come yeah. to grand finale.
0: No, exactly. I think Sarah handled it well. Um, yes. I noticed that she posted on Instagram um, this morning um, Oh, sorry. I noticed that she posted on Instagram soon after the episode that she has released a hot sauce business called Hot Toddy and kudos to her because to get that up and running, to get that going, following MasterChef, you don't have much time to actually think of an idea, create the concept, go to market, get it all happening, particularly because Mm. you've been in a pressure cooker for six to seven months. And you need to recover from that. So I think she's she's extraordinary.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. What a a finale. I think everyone did really, really well. Daniel did so good getting so close coming third. um, And that was a scary episode in terms of the three-course dinner that they all did. Um, Everyone was rattled that day. Did you watch that episode? No, I, w- I could not. I would imagine that would be particularly triggering.
0: Yeah, no, it's not for me. No. I I'm actually relieved that it's not on anymore because my, my Instagram feed is going to have less MasterChef content. I'm yes. going to be not thinking about it whenever I get the, the triggering uh, <laughs> <laughs> post um, delivered to me. Um yeah I'm, I, yeah, I'm not a fan anymore. It's just a part of what's happened. Is
1: there a cooking show that you can watch? Have you been watching anything lately that you've fallen in love with? Because I, MasterChef is finished for me, so I need something to move on to.
0: Scotty, I know that you don't watch Bake Off and you have to watch Bake Off. I don't. We, it is important for our friendship.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where do I get my fix of British Bake Off? What channel is it on?
0: I watch it on binge and okay, binge. I prefer the British version. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. It's my kind of humor. Noel Fielding is one of the um, the hosts, and I have adored him since high school. If you're a fan of the Mighty Boosh, you'll be aware of who Noel Fielding is. Um, his humor is just ridiculous, and <laughs> I love that in combination with. Baking nerds that he is meeting and um, learning about baking from.
1: Oh, I love this! Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to watch it. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. I don't know. I don't get stressed watching it because it's nothing like Master Chef. It's a little bit more fun and silly. And the mm-hmm. contestants do get stressed out. There is pressure, but it's also a comedy. It's not ten minutes to go and everyone just having panic attacks it's you might have ten minutes to go make sure your buns are out of the oven haha ha. like that, <laughs> the jokes are better than that the jokes really are better than that
1: <laughs> oh my god i love it
0: anywho speaking of europe speaking of france speaking of travel speaking of champagne is it time to talk to amanda
1: I am ready. I have my bottle of champagne chilling at my desk. Let's talk to Amanda. We are joined by Amanda Rabul, our champagne specialist and educator, to talk to us about all things champagne. Welcome, Amanda, to our podcast. How are you?
3: Hi, Scott. Hi, Elise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm having a little bit of a fangirl moment at the moment with you guys. Oh, no. I love you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <your>
1: oh, <laughs> it's amazing. We love you. Well, I love you. I've had a, mm. a few opportunities to, I've done a, a champagne sabering course, would we say with you, which is amazing, um, and you also uh, supply beautiful truffles in Brisbane, um, and we thought yes. it would be perfect opportunity to get you on today. It's our final episode of season one to celebrate the ending of this season. Why
3: not okay. celebrate with
1: bubbles? Of
3: course, bubbles are the best
0: thing to celebrate with. <laughs> Absolutely, Scotty. You mentioned sabering, Amanda. For people who are listening who have no idea what that is, what is what is champagne sabering? Sabering is when you take
3: um, a big sword and you knock the top off the champagne bottle with the sword, so it breaks cleanly. The glass ring around the cork. Breaks off the bottle, it's a bit dangerous.
2: It sounds like a gangster.
0: Yeah. Medieval gangster.
3: Yeah, there's a couple of theories about who started it. The nicest story is um, Napoleon's soldiers, when they were going through France during the Prussian War, it was their um, sort of the farm owners had to put the soldiers up if they came through their land, and they went through Champagne. And the Verve Cliquot, so Verve meets widow in French, Ah. and she had been recently widowed. She was 27, apparently quite beautiful, and um, she had to put the soldiers up and she'd give them a bottle of champagne to take off to war for their ration every day when they left. So because they're, you know, young show-off Frenchmen soldiers, they'd take um, their swords and knock the bottle off, uh, the top off and blah, blah, blah. So that's a very romantic story, I think. I wouldn't want to drink it from the bottle once the top's
2: has <laughs> oh been
3: gosh. <laughs> ah. and, but it's a nice story. So the other story which I think also has a lot of kudos is that during um, the wars when the cellar masters, um, the invading armies would go down into the cellars and try and ransack all the champagne, the cellar masters it's stand at the bottom and, and with the saber they'd, they'd shoot the – the corks up towards the army coming down because it's quite a deadly weapon. If you've got oh you know, three tyres, it's like the equivalent of three car tyres worth of pressure wow. coming out of the
2: bottle. Really? It's
3: pretty dangerous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to be really careful. And as fun as it is, you've got to, you know, be, be sensible. Yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> All right. Well, um, who needs a bullet? Sure. <laughs> I'm wondering. have never
3: um, thought of champagne as a weapon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For your friends and your foes. When, um, did you come to discover sabering to discover champagne at such, uh, the intricate level that you understand it? What, what has your journey been like, Amanda? Yes. So, um, I, it's
3: just life, the little path that life has taken me that I never would have foreseen when I was younger. Um, when I was 18, um, I was given a bottle of Bollinger for my birthday. My parents were teetotalers, so I'd never really dropped a drunk a drop of alcohol in my life. I was also a swimmer and um, I you know, I was doing a lot of training and everything, so I didn't ever feel like drinking alcohol when I was younger. But I had this bottle and it was very special and my mum's telling me it's very special so we were going to share it with my mum. She would have a drink. She's not a complete teetotaler like my dad is. But anyway. So we had this bottle and I'd never tasted anything. Like, and I just was in heaven over this bottle of champagne. And so between my mum and I, it lasted us three days, this bottle of champagne. We <laughs> <in> the- just <Wow. laughs> stupid like I are never back on it, but it was so special. So I was very intrigued about champagne back then and also all things French. And I'd done I'd studied French up till year 12 at high school. And um, anyway, fast forward a few years, I met, I was travelling with a friend during my, not a gap year because I was working, but I had six weeks holiday and I was backpacking around Europe and I met my husband, who who turned out to later on become my husband and he's French. And when I met him, he was telling me about his brother was about to get married to a girl from Champagne. And so suddenly Champagne became a, a real place, not just a bottle, like not just a drink in a bottle. So he, we, um, he'd send me photos of the wedding. He sent me photos of the wedding. It was all snail mail back in those days. So I'd wait and it just looked really amazing. So then back in 1995, um, and I was married by that stage and my husband got a job in Belgium in near Brussels and it's only about a three hour drive down to Champagne. And his brother's in-laws still lived in Champagne, So they said they were the closest relatives that we had or anybody that we knew close to us. So we'd go down most weekends to, to stay with them. And because they were locals, they'd send us off to their mate who was a grower. Like I didn't know what growers were back then, those growers in the big houses. I probably only knew a handful of names of bigger houses. Mm. And, yeah, I, I just learnt that. from talking to the people and I just loved the generosity of spirit that they have. And the countryside's beautiful. So I was able to visit quite a lot and, you know, talking to the growers, you learn a lot.
2: Mm. So
3: just to farm, it's like you're essentially talking to farmers. So, yeah, Uh, that's good. So we moved to Australia in 2006 and I, at that stage, I had three children and I hadn't worked in any capacity really apart from volunteer work I'd done along the way for about 14 years. So here I am, like, what am I going to do for a job? Nobody's going to employ me. And I thought, oh, maybe I can go to a, a travel agent that specializes in France. And, you know, I, I was good at traveling with kids. I had a lot of experience and tips of traveling with kids, and I could speak French and I knew Europe. And so I went to one travel agent, and he said, oh, no, I don't really have anything for you, and I don't think I ever will. Kind of, oh. <laughs> <I> thought, oh. <laughs> no. what else am I going to do? I only know about champagne. <laughs> So someone just said to me, well, why don't you just write about it? Just write a blog because blogs were new, you know. So I started writing my blog and then one thing led to another and little steps, baby steps. But, um, yeah, so probably by about 2014, though, I was going back regularly and I was taking groups of people back. And I think 2015 for the first time I was going back just by myself for a week in April. They have a professional week of – champagne professionals or wine professionals from all over the world and all of the growers and houses have all these special tastings of the still wine from the previous year's harvest so it gives you an idea of what um that adds to the blend of a champagne year per year and then i started really understanding about the harvests and the weather conditions and everything
1: speaking of tastings you were going to take us through a very special yeah. tasting today.
3: So um, Scotty asked me to, to choose a champagne that maybe we could all get. Um, so I did have to look at a bigger place that I knew a chain. But you don't always get the most interesting things in chain stores. You better go into boutique places. But to make sure that it was one that was in Queensland and Victoria. I, I looked at what was online and I stumbled across this one called Sarin. Yes. And it's a really interesting bottle. And I got a little bit excited because it was the first time I'd seen it in Australia. So sarine isn't really the name of the The people who make it are called the Shin One. It's one of those. It's on the back if you guys want to read it. Shan One Brothers, mm. C-H-A-N-O-I-N-E. And this is the sarine um Cuvée, if you will so um, my husband had this auntie and very Parisian lady and she loved this was her favorite champagne wow. and she always had it when we went to visit her she didn't have any children and she really uh, she loved me because I was like this open book I just listened to everything she said and she'd tell me all about Paris and shopping and you know shopping for clothes and all the designers she was all she's very 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 French Parisian that you would know and she loved this and then unfortunately she got breast cancer um not long before we left Australia uh, left to come to Australia and we went to visit her in um Paris just to say goodbye because we were moving to Australia and um she had a bottle of this in the fridge for us and she wasn't drinking it she could uh she used to throw back the champagne she was just putting it up to her lips and I said, Oh, Tati, why aren't Tati means auntie in, in French? Why why aren't you drinking it? And she said to me in English, It's no good. It's no good. <laughs> that was sort of a way to tell me that she was dying and that that was Ella and she wanted to have a oh, lot drink with us. But every time I see the bottle in France, so often when I'm back in Champagne by myself, I'll get myself a bottle of this and just think of her.
2: Oh, but you could get it in that. Australia.
3: And it's very new in Australia. So. Yeah, so it's nice. I haven't had it for a while. So, um, but the Tsarine is in reference to the Russian Tsars.
2: Ah. So
3: this, how this Sh- Shan brothers, Shan sorry, brothers, it had to be a difficult name to pronounce yes. in They um, started making champagne in the seven, in 1730. And so it's the second oldest cham- champagne house. Only um, Ruinart is older wow. than them. So, and it stayed within the family for a long, long time. And um, so that's like, if you want to put it in historical context, that's at the time of Louis the XV. So that's how long it's been going. And at the time, the Pierre Chan who was the, the father, but the, the founder, he decided to try and get his champagne into royalty. So into the houses, the royal houses of, of France, of Europe, but he also went over to Russia. And there was this new sarine, her name was Elizabeth Petrova, and she had just become the tsarina. she'd just been crowned. And she was, it sounds like she was a real party girl. And so she loved this, these bubbles, this bubbly. So they didn't call it champagne back then. They hadn't established that the region was called champagne, but the drink wasn't called champagne. And he, he got, so his son, the son of this Pierre, when he was coming back, um, it then became the time of Catherine the Great when she was Tsarina, and he was calling it to her his pop cork wines, pop cork so in wine. French, pop, pop, <laughs> pop <laughs> wines, so sort bouchon in French, and so they all were drinking in Russia pop wines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that! <laughs> it's, a, it's a lovely story. And then in, it was only in 1996 that. The house started making. They had new ownership, and they started making the sarin just as a an ode to the past that they had with the Russians. So, <laughs> and that bottle. It's a yeah. This isn't a bottle to saber. So don't go buying this bottle and trying to saber it. It will end in tears.
1: Oh, how it's do you know?
3: Uh, it's just because you know. See how it's, it's all got ridges very and pretty. it's thick. And then normal saber bottles you need to just have a standard bottle for it to uh, work. Okay. So should we pop should we yes. pop? We should Normally pop. like an uh, expert you shouldn't um, pop a cork.
1: Uh, why?
3: It's supposed to sigh like it's supposed to sigh when you open it. Oh, so, the sigh so what happens if you it. pop
1: it? Does it like
3: Oh, it's just like nothing. <laughs> it's just it's not it's just a bit rude. I this think This is I what I This is what I'm I, getting. Fur. This is
1: what I love about um, bring, being with you and learning things because you are such a champagne nerd. Like the, your level <laughs> of knowledge of champagne is next level and you learn all these uh, things that I never knew.
3: Yeah, well, it comes from a lot of reading too. Yes. A lot of reading, a lot of tasting, a lot of talking to people around Mine has a fault. My bottle has a fault. Oh, the ooh. foil is actually stuck. Oh there. no! Oh
2: it's no! Like it's glued onto the
3: cage. Okay, I got it. Okay. <laughs> so just make sure, guys, when hold your thumb over the top because you might take a light out of the ceiling. Oh, I've done something <laughs> wrong already,
0: haven't I? Yeah. I've taken. Yeah, just quickly put your thumb over it. I've. Ta- just, oh, you right. still got your your cap and the yes. and the metal coil on? Are you not yeah. meant to take that off? Oh, you have to eventually. I was just going to
3: show you there's six turns when you. Oh, there's always six oh, turns, one, so two, there's a bit of trivia. Three,
1: four, five. <gasps> there's six turns.
3: Yeah, oh, and oh. then when you take it, when you pop it, it's sometimes at least it's not wrong to take the cage off, but sometimes you get a better grip, grip oh, if you keep it on. Okay, Ooh. okay. Ooh. Right. Okay,
1: so let's I go. Wanna... Ready? Are we doing a countdown? Oh. Simultaneous. What? When are we popping? <laughs> on like.
0: Yeah, three, two, one, shall oh, we? A pop on okay. one. Any <laughs> advice? Do you do a, a full closed hand, a thumb a yes. pop? Um, oh, no, no. You, you might put a hole in your roof if you do that do inside. Do a full so closed, just hand
3: your closed hand.
2: Full closed hand because we are inside.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't do
1: use the
3: yes. bottle
0: as a weapon. we about to go. Okay. <laughs> Mine started coming loose. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're all different. I'm hoping yeah. just doesn't okay.
1: spill everywhere.
2: <laughs> Can we you feel did.
0: it? Can you feel it? Oh, I like this yeah, I okay. okay, three, two, one. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> 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 oh, no, Elise, it spilled. Did it spill? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Every time we have an alcohol segment, <laughs> I make a <it> mess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we made cocktails <laughs> on our podcast once and Elise was shaking and, like, the whole thing just dropped into <laughs> her lap.
0: oh no i need to cover it in tea towels i think (laughs) on this occasion (laughs) sorry (laughs) that's okay now i asked you to um
3: to bring a couple of different glasses along were you each able to do that yeah glasses so i've got a few just to keep talking but this is a tulip they call this a tulip flute and this is what's considered to be the best champagne tasting glass Ah. because it's the bowl opens up so it allows the aromas to open up but then it comes back in at the top so then they they get concentrated back again towards your nose so Mm. when you use one of these old like lovely even though it's beautiful crystal wedding present (laughs) type champagne flute there's nowhere for it to open up the above the the bubbles rise up nicely but there's no way for it to so if you can't have one of these one of these if you've got a white wine glass it's actually pretty good because if you look at can you see how the bowl of it is it's quite similar the only difference is the white wine glass doesn't quite go in as well so that if you're tasting a really nice champagne at home and especially with a meal mm-hmm. um, use a white wine glass and they do that in the restaurants in France a lot now too they'll if it's the champagne you're having with your meal they will serve it in the white wine glass oh
1: I love that see I
3: ask, I ask at a restaurant here if we've ordered a nice bottle of champagne and they've only and they come out with these flutes yes I can oh so I love that because you always
1: to expect it to be in a champagne flute. So yes. if someone served me champagne mm. in a wine glass, I would think it was wrong.
3: And then the other thing I have just to show you, these are the coupes.
2: Oh, yes. The,
3: you know, that's the antique one, like that's supposed to be the size of Marie Antoinette's left breast. But,
2: oh, um, really? you know,
3: That's how they got that size. <laughs> but really, you know, they're really elegant at cocktail parties because you carry know mm.
2: But... Um,
3: there's nowhere for the bubbles to rise up. Mm. So everything mm. disperses and all the aromas disperse. So you don't really – they're not a great tasting thing. They're great for parties but it's not a, a good thing to taste uh. champagne in.
1: And does it go it like flat quicker or yeah. something? Like there's more surface
3: area? Yeah, it
2: does. Mm, okay.
3: Yeah, it goes flat quicker, yeah. So I just bought that to show along. So if you've got to, I suggest you put a little bit of um, – champagne in each glass. Um don't fill like on your white wine just fill it like a little bit. Don't overfill it because it needs room to breathe. Okay. So and it might if you if it fizzes up, see how mine fizzed up a little bit. Oh yes. Because it's so narrow. (laughs) Just put it down and wait and then do the other one and then you can come back and pour or a bit more.
0: In terms of ideal temperature, <laughs> well, what yes. should champagne be served at in your... Um, so non-vintage champagne,
3: which we're drinking, should be 8 to 10 degrees. Eight to 10. And vintage champagne should be 10 to 12 degrees. Mm-hmm. Just that little bit warmer for opening up the complexities of flavour. Ah. But mm-hmm. um, in a tasting situation like today, if it's come a bit warmer, it's actually a good thing because you It's like when you're cold and you like, you've got a really cold drink. All, all the flavours kind of in on itself and if you let it warm up, it relaxes and opens up and then you get a better idea of all the flavours. I love but,
2: that.
3: So yeah. that's a difference between tasting and drinking. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's good at least.
1: In terms of vintages of champagne, quite often a lot of champagnes are non-vintage whereas a lot of wines like red wines have a very specific vintage or year in which that wine was made. Why is yeah. champagne typically non-vintage?
3: So, yeah, that's a really interesting question. And it's because they only, when they make champagne, they blend not only a blend of different grapes to make non vintage champagne, but they blend back years of of Mm harvests of still wine Mm -hmm. that they've harvested in previous years. So, when they're making champagne, there's this huge palette of tools that the winemaker can choose from to make a champagne. Mm So, Mm -hmm. um, if they want to get a specific taste so when you're making a non-vintage champagne every house has their style and that they want that every year that you taste it it tastes the same Mm -hmm. wherever you are in the world so it's quite a skill for them to blend together everything and sometimes they need a bit more richness so they'll take an older vintage and put it in Mm -hmm. and that's why Mm -hmm. it's non-vintage it could also be called there is people who are trying to get it renamed as multi-vintage because it's You know, it's lots of vintages together, whereas a vintage champagne is only made from grapes of that particular year's harvest. Mm -hmm. It can't Mm -hmm. be blended with other years together. And so if the harvest wasn't a good year, they won't make a vintage champagne that year. They'll only make it on the really good years. Uh And they don't make as much of it. It's only a small portion of their production. And that's why it's more expensive. Does that
1: mean that a vintage champagne is better
3: than a non-vintage it's, um, hmm, that's also a bit subjective because mm. if a non-vintage champagne, a lot goes into making it, there's a lot of skill that goes into making it consistent. And a vintage champagne is really what mother nature put together for them. So they've got less choices that they have to make to make it. Having said that, so I think the first bit, is probably a little bit easier to make, but what they do do for vintages is use the very best grapes. And they leave it longer in the cellar ageing and there's all sorts of things that they do that makes it better because it's had more care put into it. Mm, okay.
2: So,
3: yeah. Interesting. So it's very complex. But anyway, I think what you'll be able to see to start with, like the colour, they, they talk about the colours, It's the colour looks pretty much the same. That doesn't change in the. And the best way to do the colour is to have a white sheet of paper. Oh, the light's not good. This is kind of a pale yellow. This one, mm-hmm. and they're the same mm-hmm. in both glass. It didn't really change the color very much with that. But what you can see a difference on is the bubbles rising. Can you see in the round in your in your white wine glass? Have a look. The bubbles seem to rise a little bit from the center, and they're mainly just coming up the center. Can you see that or not? It feels mm.
1: like I've got more bubbles in the white wine glass.
3: Yeah, and then the straight up and down one, like I wouldn't even think looking at them. I wonder, I'll put it up tonight. I wouldn't even think looking at them that I've got the same champagne in. Oh, hang on. The, the bubbles look completely different they just do. because of the. Um,
0: I'm so wondering it, why my glasses don't <laughs> have a little bit of a foam like yours do. Is it because when mine opened, it exploded? <laughs> no, no. It might
3: just have to do with how you washed it. Also, yours is a bit wider at the bottom. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now this is where you'll see a difference. If you put your nose in it, mm-hmm. put your nose in the skinny one first.
1: Skinny one first. Okay.
3: And like I put my nose in a skinny one first and I smell alcohol.
2: Yes. Pretty much.
3: All I can say is there's alcohol.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But if I put my <laughs> nose in the, the white wine one, the. Oh,
1: it smells one. completely different.
3: Yeah. What? So mm-hmm. you can start. There's oh, white
1: flowers.
3: Wow. There's an elegance. There's some kind of floralness in there, a little oh. bit fruity.
0: Tulip glasses, so now do hey. the- I'm going to add some to a cart <laughs> later today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not that I need any more glassware, but tulip now glasses I don't have.
0: <laughs> you might need to also add another cabinet to your online <laughs> shopping it- itinerary. <laughs> So
3: now do the same exercise, smell it and take a sip, smell and sip from the skinny one and then smell and sip from the bigger one. Mmm. And you can kind of taste it's a little bit fruity in there. I'm not getting very exciting amount of bubbles in my mouth from that tall skinny one. Mm. But then when I have it from the bigger mm. one, I, I I've got much it. more bubbles and I've got a much fuller fullness in my palate. Mm, the larger mouth. Much, you definitely get more
0: mouth. in the mouth with the larger yeah. lip gloss. Like,
3: <laughs> exactly. And I like talking about the mouth feel. It's very round and balanced. You yes. can feel this champagne. Mm. Is, it fills up beautifully your mouth. Now, one of the reasons for that is this particular I was saying before how they make the champagne, they blend grapes together. There are actually seven champagne grapes, but there's three that they mainly use, which are Chardonnay, Meunier and Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. And usually people use, they'll either be Chardonnay dominant or Pinot Noir dominant, and then they'll put a little bit of Meunier in there because it balances it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Chardonnay gives Mm -hmm. freshness and elegance. The Pinot Noir gives it the structure and body and the... um, Mernier gives it a bit of fruitiness, that little extra kick in it. So but this one um, is equal amounts of each cham- of each grape. Ah, interesting. So it's 34% Chardonnay, 33% Mernier and 33% Pinot Noir mm. in here, so it's very very balanced as far there's not one that's dominating. However, they are the two Mernier and Pinot Noir are both black grapes and they give a lot more structure. So you would say this was a Pinot dominant one, mm. it's and but you can't really tell that it's very full in your mouth. Yes. So that's really, there's lots of good things to talk about this champagne. It was a great choice in the end. <laughs> I love it out there. It's a delicious <laughs> but, yeah.
0: drop. I'm wondering what characteristics are you looking out for in a good drop of champagne? What are some mm. visual cues that people can look out for or taste signifiers? So you want to see
3: the bubbles rising up nicely. You don't want them to be too energetic and bold and popping out great big bubbles sort of bursting at the surface that's an indication that it's quite young and it hasn't been cellared for very long Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. when you put your nose in it you want a bit of a richness about it and you want that to transfer to your mouth as well and then once you've got it in your mouth the very fine bubbles are an indication of how old the champagne is or how well made it's been so it's all it's yeah the color not so much because the color can depend, if you're having a a completely Chardonnay champagne that's Blanc de Blanc, they're very pale. They've almost sometimes got a bit of a green edge to them.
2: Mm. Um, Mm.
3: So the colour, it doesn't matter. That can just sometimes give you an indication of what the blend is. But um, it's more about the bubbles, how they look, what the nose is, and then on your palate.
1: Yes, I've Mm. always thought like the finer the bubble, the finer the champagne or the better the champagne. Mm.
3: That's a good rule of thumb. Mm. So, yeah. But then the and the other interesting thing about this one is there is a very well-known champagne that has this exact blend, and that's Paul Roger. Ah. So it's very similar to Paul Roger and the makeup. And the other thing I like about this one is they've got a female chef to carve. There's not many of them um, in champagne. and la- I think it was last year. she celebrated her 20 years as their female. She, she would have been one of the first. Female chef de cave that makes it. What's a chef
1: her de cave? I've not heard that term. Chef de cave is a,
3: the a winemaker, oh. the champagne maker.
1: Is that specifically yeah. just for champagne, chef de cave?
3: Oh, uh, no, in wine. In wine in, in general. Wine maker, oh. Chef de cave, yeah. But I think, be, yeah, be, being French, very French champagne, they often just they talk about the chef de cave rather than, like, in the French way rather than the winemaker. But yeah, anyway, so a female winemaker. And her name's Isabelle Tellier. I haven't met her, but I'm going to try and meet her. Oh, that would be amazing.
1: Can we come? <laughs> back,
3: time I go back, I'm going to hunt the poor woman down. <laughs> it was amazing. And she said something on their website that I think were kindred spirits because she said when she started making champagne, one of her goals was to create the taste of happiness. Oh, and for that. me, that it's is exactly good. what I love about champagne. It is happy. You can't not be happy. When you drink champagne, you know, even if you're having a bad day and you have some champagne, you immediately feel better. Yes. So so I think she's a kindred spirit. That's why I'm going to hunt her <laughs> <laughs> Don't know how I'm going to make that work, but um, I will.
2: Oh, my gosh, I love that.
3: <laughs> Watch this space. So, yeah, so now, oh, there was that other one thing I, I asked you to bring along, <laughs> a statue, didn't I? Mm, you did. This, this is a level of my notary. okay? Because okay. you're talking about how you call yourself. Food nerd, so
0: I'm a bit the same with (laughs) champagne. Have you got some left in your big glass? Yes, I've got a a great big red wine glass ready to spit in. Ah. Good. I'm not quite as fancy. I've got
3: a coffee mug. Yeah, coffee mug and anything. I just got a jug. Anything you can grab. So one of the revelations for me with tasting wine, and I learned, I had to learn this when I did some judging, because if you drink when you're judging, you're dead by the end. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, <you're... laughs>
1: I often wonder how people do
2: that.
3: Oh yeah, they spit. They don't swallow it <laughs> because all of the pleasure's in your mouth. Someone said to me once, "All of the pleasures in your mouth. The only thing it achieves once it goes down your throat is to get you drunk." Right. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so you'll notice when I taste it, I swish it around my mouth a little bit, like. Um, mouthwash mm-hmm. a bit. That doesn't Ooh. sound very elegant, but you just swish it around through your teeth. So first do that and swallow it and see if by doing that you already have more flavour in your mouth than when you just drink it. Okay. So try that, swishing it around in your teeth.
0: Swallow oh, it.
2: yeah.
3: Can you feel how by swishing it around your palate it's coated your mouth and you get much more of an idea of the flavours. Yeah,
1: it's Ooh. definitely, you can feel that coating on your mouth and mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's, like it's warming it up a bit as well so like mm. the, the yeah. flavours are it's becoming the richer.
0: And yeah, exactly. And more sour for me. I'm not sure why. Yeah.
3: Huh. And then, whoa, <laughs> the acidity. I think it's the acidity in champagne. It's naturally more acid, okay. acidic okay. than sweet, I guess a brute champagne anyway. Mm. So yeah, okay. So that already you can see you can do it. Now I'm going to show you how you get a real flavor bomb. Okay. And this is this is a, a professional thing and nobody wants to do it, but once you do it you're going, oh, gotta try that.
2: It's not <laughs> oh, no, I'm so worried about
3: <laughs> So what you're going to do is you're going to swish it through your teeth. And then you're going to spit it in there and tell me what you're feeling in your mouth. Yeah, I you thought you were, you were going
0: in. to say drink what you just spat out. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Spit it out okay. and tell
3: me what you are see. I'll show you. what do. Oh, It's not know. the most elegant, but I tell you what, That's the fine. It's
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah, nice try. Spitting okay. the spitting part is fine. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, swishy, swishy
3: spit okay oh my god <laughs> flavor bomb
0: <laughs> that's more pleasant indeed more gentle yum
2: mm, um
0: I'm salivating now it just hangs around yeah. it
1: does why is that
3: because it's kind of got all over your palate it's mm. touched every mm. surface and it's wow. it's woken everything mm. up so so the salivating mm. is here, mm. almost Professional wine taster. <laughs> so I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about salivating. It's because um, the Chardonnay in this is from the Cote de Blanc. It's an area in Champagne, mm-hmm. to the sort of the southeast of Champagne, a little bit, near, southeast of Epinay, I mean. And it is chalky, very, very chalky, and the vines are all grown in this white chalk. So Cote de Blanc means the um, the slope of white Ah. so it's chardonnay grapes that are white grapes and it's white because of the lime scale so the roots and everything if you think about it it makes sense the roots go into the earth and they're drawing up all the nutrients from the soil and when the soil is chalk it goes into the flavor
2: Mm -hmm. so
3: um, what that adds is a minerality to it and anything that's got chardonnay from the Cote de Blanc it really really makes you salivate because of that chalk that it's coming oh,
2: through. I would
3: love and, that. Yeah, and so yeah. I mean, then you want to eat oysters or something. Oh yes, thing. I can. And eat. then mm, um, yummy. The Pinot Noir is what you taste at the front of your mouth. Mm-hmm. The red berries. Pinot Noir is more like red berries and um, red fruits and things. And then the fruitiness, like plums, that's the Merneer, and that's in the middle of your palate. But because this is a very balanced wine, because it's equal quantities of each of the three of the grapes, it's just kind of doing its thing yeah. inside our mouth but you have picked out the chardonnay at least by saying you're salivating yeah. so that's good oh,
0: beautiful. Go. i can definitely feel chalkiness too around where i s- sieved it through my teeth there's that, yeah. that chalkiness around the uh, yeah. the gums mm, on the, mm, at, at the roof of the mouth <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: i'm not sure this one so a brut champagne it doesn't say on the back so a Brut Champagne means, you'll see Brut written on the bottle, mm. of often to mm-hmm. non-vintage Brut. This one's called Cuvée Premium Brut, and the Brut's an indication of the amount of sugar in it. So mm-hmm. um, it's got 6 to 12 grams of sugar per litre. And mm-hmm. um, mm. I've fairly certain this one just from that dryness we're feeling is to the lower end of that scale mm. so it's probably closer to six and definitely not 12 because of that dryness we feel
2: mm. then. So,
3: and then if it gets drier than that it's extra brute and then it's um, zero dosage or um, that they call so mm. that's got zero sugar added which is a bit of a trend at the moment
0: when people go to the shops so what should they be looking for in a bottle of champagne are they looking for a label that says it's from France are they looking for uh certain names of big house champagne manufacturers
3: yes so that's a really good question I actually I just wrote a little free ebook that people can download from my website that answers exactly that it's called how to level up your champagne game
2: I love this
3: And it's all about being able to read the label so that you can um, make different choices rather than just grabbing, going for the same one each time. So there's an awful lot on the label that is really interesting to know. So, for example, um, this one we can see we were talking before, it's a brew. Well, it has to have champagne written on it. So it could be written in French, but if it doesn't have champagne written on it, then it's not champagne. I know that sounds stupid, but it must have. There's a lot of French sparkling wine. They're usually the ones that cost $20. Champagne, it's very hard to get lower than under $40, $50 at the moment because the prices have gone what up. What
1: makes so, champagne you know, expensive?
3: It's the grapes themselves. So the raw product is very expensive mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. yields, the harvests are regulated. So this last year, they're only allowed to press 8,000 litres per hectare oh. of ground. Mm-hmm. So um, and that goes down, up and down. They regulate the market a little bit like that about how much you're allowed to produce. I never
1: knew that. But the
3: grapes grapes cost about €6 per kilogram to make. So €6 is about $10, maybe a bit more at the moment.
2: Mm -hmm. So Mm
3: -hmm. we don't pay that for table grapes. Like that's an awful lot of money to Mm -hmm. pay for all $6 per kilo for the grapes. And there is a kilo and a half of grapes in a bottle. So before you mm. even start, before any of the man hours or anything counted, there's already about probably twenty dollars worth of grapes in the bottle. Yeah, interesting. Then you've, got, then you've got the price of the bottle itself; it's a few euros. Like, and particularly bottles like this, they're more elaborate, so they're they're going to cost. You know, that's mm. harder to make. It's not the standard bottle. You've got the cost of the labels, the cage, the cork, the foil, and all of that adds another about ten euros. That
2: dressing it up yep.
3: so you're already quite high up there before you even consider the man hours that went into it the cellaring the um, storage the transport to australia the taxes in australia there's 55 tax on alcohol imports in australia
0: mm-hmm. so
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah
3: it's mm-hmm. very that's uh, yeah
0: given the limitations mm-hmm. imposed by the quantity um Uh, regulations, Mm. if you are a big champagne house, what does that mean? How many bottles or litres would you produce per annum? Okay,
3: so that regulation of um, litres per hectare is how much each hectare of land that they can make, they can press grapes from. The big houses don't own the land. They only own a little bit of land. They're buying the juice from people. So it just means they have to buy juice from more and more people.
1: What's the idea behind eating. that regulation like what it why why are they regulating the amount of grapes being able to produce uh, you
3: know I think it's a bit it's trying to manipulate the market a little bit and to keep it make sure that there's not too much champagne out there that it still keeps its exclusive thing like mm. diamonds you know apparently in in Africa or the diamond places they've got vaults full of diamonds that they just don't release them all out at once they drip feed the diamonds into the market or it'll just oh. make it's cheaper if they release everything oh wow so it's just adding to the prestige of it the you know that it's not there for everyone but that's why they have to charge more for it because they've got to cover their costs as well so it's you know there's a whole big industry in champagne Mm. much more so I think than some other wines because because of the prestige of it and this prestige that they've built up and it's it's the wine of royalty it's the wine of one of King and the King of Wines, they like saying.
1: Do you have a favourite food pairing to have with champagne? Or do you make something with champagne? Do you cook something with champagne? Oh, you
3: know, there's a big fallacy that champagne's only an aperitif drink. You can actually go through a meal with oh, on champagne, yes. different types of champagne. So, like, I love a rosé champagne with pigeon or something like that. Oh. For the main That's beautiful. Um, but, look, nothing goes past champagne and caviar. Yes. Just,
2: yeah, caviar.
3: caviar on the back of your hand, you know, champagne. it's You don't need much. Bubbles everywhere with caviar. So. Perfect. But, yeah, there's some, some really nice like pigeon and rosé champagne is really, really nice. Yum. I love, this is a silly one, I love um, champagne and French fries. Oh, yes. <laughs> really nice because yeah. it's saltiness. this. Is <laughs> the saltiness and the greasiness of the, well, they can't be greasy fries, but just they, they are, you know, <laughs>
2: Yes, yes. And,
3: it's warm, and it cuts through the acidity of the champagne. It's a really nice, like champagne and chippies. <laughs> are we
1: talking like McDonald's fries or like fancy oh, No,
3: fries? nice shoestring
2: fries. <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> now this is a hard question, but do you have a favorite champagne? If you're going to splurge, if money's no object and mm-hmm. you're going to get the ultimate bottle of champagne, what is it?
3: That that actual question is not that hard to answer for me.
1: Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> my favorite, yes. My favorite is very hard to say because it depends on so many different factors. Yes. But you know, having said that, Bollinger is the first one I tasted, so Bollinger holds a, a special place. Yep. In my yep. heart, really. But um, Bollinger does this special cuvee called the Vieille Vine Francais, which is the old. French old vines, oh. old French vines, sorry. So Bollinger, it, it's a magnificent place to visit, but they've got these old vineyards, two plots that they grow the grapes in the old method that um, they grow up a steak mm. and they, mm. it's just a very old fashioned method. And in, nine, in the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, there was this um, disease that went through Champagne that, that was called phylloxera, it's a bug that got in. Mm. And it killed off most of Champagne, and they had to replant the whole region again. And they had to use American stock to graft the Champagne the, the vines onto American rootstock. Okay. Because of this, American rootstock was um, it didn't uh, it wasn't susceptible to phylloxera.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, except these three plots at Bollinger, and there's a couple of other ones around, but Bollinger had these three plots that just were protected from phylloxera. So they're ancient, ancient. Vines, Whoa, and nice. um, that is the traditional way it was on French rootstock and everything. Sadly, a few years ago, one of the um, plots got phylloxera, <clears> but oh they no. still have two. Oh my and there's God. a closer they call close something close and jack. Anyway, they do a cuvee. Called the VAV Francais. It's only from the grapes from those two plots. Oh
2: wow! So depending
3: on the year, the year how much juice they get, but they, I've seen it in the barrels. There's only about seven barrels of it, so there's probably not even two thousand bottles of it in the world. Wow! And it's very hard to get your hands on it. And I think it costs about a thousand euros a bottle.
1: Oh my gosh! <laughs>
3: and it's safe to say, I've never tasted it, but that would be my dream one to taste just because of the history that sounds amazing and it's vintage so it's only it's only pinot noir because it's the pinot noir grapes in those plots yes and it's always a vintage because it's only from that particular harvest oh my gosh so that's my dream one to taste
0: you mentioned a lot of your knowledge Mm -hmm. has come from reading do you have any book suggestions Mm. or film suggestions for our listeners for our listeners who would like to expand their champagne knowledge
3: So there's, um, if you're interested in a little bit of the history, there's the book um, The Madame Clicquot that's about the Verve Clicquot Ah. Um, and it's all history, it's very historical and it puts a lot of context into her as a woman in a man's um, industry that she went through. So that's a really good one to get. There's a couple of people who aren't Australian that have huge knowledge about champagne. One of them's a lady called um, Essie Avalon. Now, Essie, she's written, this is one of her books. It's just called Champagne, of course. Gorgeous. And Essie is Finnish, so from Finland, ah. and she was the first female master of wine in Finland, first master of wine in Finland, actually, and she's female. But she's also a champagne and sparkling wine specialist. And she's about, I think she's about 45, maybe 47. A lovely, lovely lady. I've met her. I admire her a lot. And um, she has the most extraordinary palette. Anyway, this book is all about, it's like a guide. So it's, it says a champagne lovers, a guide for champagne lovers and gourmet travellers. So this, she has all about, she breaks champagne down into the regions and she tells you what restaurants to go to, what hotels to stay at, what houses to visit. So if you're somebody that's really interested in visiting champagne, that's a really good mm. guide. And there's a bit of history in there as well. And all of these are bought in Australia on Amazon or something, so they're they're available. They just don't know about them. But she talks about, like, she's got the whole chapter on Louis Roderick, so she talks about the different houses as well. So there's a lot of history in that one.
2: Gorgeous. Beautiful. And then there's a
3: – this is the finest wine – this one's called The Finest Wines of Champagne and it's by a man in England called Michael Edwards. Mm-hmm. And Michael Edwards is a bit of an icon in the British food and wine scene. He's a food critic and, and wine writer. Um, completely passionate about champagne and I was very lucky when just before COVID hit I was over in England doing um, judging a sparkling, an International Sparkling Wine Awards and I was on his panel and oh, it was just amazing. He knows so much nice. but... He really appreciated my company as well, which was nice. But anyway, this his guide is it's all about the finest, so it's the best cuvées, houses and growers. Mm. So it, it's really good. He breaks it down in normal language and everything, so that's a really good one to get your hands on. And then right. this is my geekiest one, my nerdiest <laughs> one. Oh my it's gosh! Just, you see how big it is?
2: Look how big it is! <laughs>
3: This is Christie's World Encyclopedia of Champagne and Sparkling Wine. And it was written by Tom Stevenson, who's well known, and S.C. Avalon, who is um, the lady I was talking about before. So she does all of the champagne bit. And that has just about everything you need to know about champagne.
1: Unbelievable.
3: So if you really want to learn, get... It's not cheap, you can imagine, because it's in a nice—you know—it's yeah. one of those. Rooms. It looks like one
0: of those two hundred dollars cookbooks. I reckon. Yeah, well, yeah. I
3: don't think it was. I think it was more the, the shipping that cost because it was heavy. But yes, oh it's over hundred
0: dollars.
1: Yeah, that looks amazing. I'm going to add a few more books to my bookshelf. I think.
0: Yeah, I'm going to roll in a summer. Yeah, cause I'm just so, so inspired to learn. Thank you so much, Amanda. <laughs> Yeah. There's right. oh, there is one book
3: from an Australian lady that's really good if you want to learn about tasting and she's written it like almost like you can use it for your champagne club if you get your friends together and it's got all templates and things. Her, her name's um Karen Palmer. Karen with two A's, Palmer and what's oh. That's a um, anyway, there's only one book by Karen Palmer and she won this big international award for her book. Cool. For all the information very very well researched so I think it might be just Karen Palmer's Champagne Journey or something like that. It's it's Karen Palmer anyway with champagne I in the it. title. We'll add the link to she's our she's in Adelaide. Book. She knows so much, Karen. She's amazing. So, yeah. Brilliant. So that, that's my books and I've got more but they're the ones that I've got <laughs> right next to my desk because they're the ones if I'm writing a blog post or even sometimes just for a social media post because I try to be educative about things and I just want to check the fact. I'll always find it in one of these books if I'm not sure. That's amazing. So, yeah.
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. I think we need to That's have a okay. cheers mm-hmm. with our champagne. Yes. Thank you. Cheers.
2: Cheers. cheers. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> okay.
0: yeah. Scotty, thank you so much for introducing us all to Amanda. She is amazing. The idea of travelling to champagne and learning about champagne sounds like both a holiday and an extraordinary educational experience. I want to go. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, she does some amazing tours all over the world and locally. Um, she holds some incredible events. I would love to go to Bollinger. I need to add that to my bucket list for sure.
0: I'm going to keep my eye out for when Amanda does some events in Brisbane and maybe I need to coordinate my trip to visit you <laughs> yes. to align with something like that. That would be ideal.
1: Very ideal. I think that's an excellent idea.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I share with you my show and tell?
1: Yes, you look like you uh, have something ready to go there. I'm intrigued. It looks like a book.
0: <laughs> it is it a, looks book. Like a book. It is The Ooh. Art and Science of Food Pairing. Now, this ah. is a book by Peter Kukwik, Bernard Lahore, and Johan Lagenbick. Do you have Ooh. this one?
1: I don't have this one, no.
0: Mm -hmm. In this book, the byline or the subtitle is 10,000 Flavor Matches That Will Transform the Way You Eat. It is an extraordinary text that helps you build the tools to understand How to Pair Foods Based on Aroma and Taste.
1: Oh, okay. It's
0: it's a book that really helps with expanding vocabulary. So particularly when tasting and you're trying to put your finger on the word, you know, when it's on the tip of your tongue and you just don't have it, you need a flavor wheel with the vocab to give you Ah. the appropriate tools for communication. Yes. Oh, cool. Now, there is a page dedicated to Alderflower Blossom, Okay. Oh,
1: yes. I'm and growing some where... of that in my garden.
0: Me too. And I wish I planted more. I've only got one bush and I want a whole little section <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> this is a page dedicated to Elderflower Boss Blossom and it's where you'll find food pairings also for champagne.
1: Ooh, cool.
0: Mm, okay. So it is – okay, let me – read to you some of the ingredient pairings with elderflower blossom. Okay. If you are making something with elderflower blossom, the authors of this text suggest pairing champagne or Mandarin with elderflower. Mm -hmm. And then there's a further deconstruction as well. Okay. Okay. With champagne, these are now their food sharing, food pairing suggestions. Okay. So the food pairing suggestions are typically things that align with the aroma profile that you're working Mm -hmm. with. Okay. Yep. With champagne, Williams pear.
1: Oh, yum. That's very specific.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a whole list. (laughs) Grana Padano. Oh, okay. You know the crystals and really good quality Parmesan? Hmm. Okay. There's something yeah, umami about that that, that matches the umami that. in champagne. Yeah.
1: Yum. Mm. It's not what I would initially go to in terms of a champagne pairing, but I get it.
0: Yeah. Mm. Mango.
1: Mango. Yes. Yum.
0: The fruitiness, but also that mm. floralness of a mango for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pistachio, Pistachio nut. Pistachio.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah. Mirin.
1: Mm-hmm. So a Japanese yes,
0: sweet uh, rice wine.
1: Mm-hmm. Yum.
0: The next four are fig. Yes. Amarillo chili.
1: Oh, pass.
0: <laughs> pan fried, <laughs> pan fried bacon.
1: Yes. Tick.
0: And ki- and kiwi.
1: Kiwi kiwi fruit.
0: Mm, kiwi fruit. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Okay. Yep.
0: Yum. Yeah. So now I'm imagining a pavlova topped with kiwi to have with my glass oh, of champagne.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I could definitely go a slice of pav right now. Yum. Mm.
0: So anyway, I've shown you that book. It's I lovely. Like it. it's, a, it's a great trigger for ideas. It's a great motivator for understanding how to pair foods and pair flavors in mm. ways that make sense. Speaking of, the bergamot that you sent me last week, I made Ooh, yes. a batch of shortbread with and Uh, chose to flavour the shortbread not only with the bergamot but also some elderflower tea and uh, a little bit of rose water. They're so good. And it works because these things share aromas. These ingredients have um, a natural affinity towards one another and so when in unison, they create harmony.
1: Delightful. Yes, your briskets are really good. I saw them on Instagram. Mm -hmm.
0: They're an adult biscuit. They're not a biscuit that a kid might bite into and thoroughly enjoy because they're not overly Um, sweet and they've got that, they taste like a a cup of tea.
1: Yes, yum.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited about them. So that was that. I like that. I still have more bergamot.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. I'm going to send you a recipe Mm -hmm. for my baked bergamot custard.
0: Okay, that sounds great. It is
1: so good. It uses the bergamot juice because the the um the zest of a bergamot is really strong. Like you Mm. only need a little bit. It's so powerful. But the juice it's
0: kind of bitter, isn't it? It is, it is. Discovered. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. But the (laughs) juice is spectacular because it's super sour. Um Mm. it's really good for making cocktails and uh, drinks with amazing but um, this Bergamot custard I do is got like a lot of Bergamot that you pu- juice only um, mm. and it's this baked egg custard sets beautifully but it's super sour. Which is really unusual. You're not expecting it. So then I put like beautiful poached fruit, like um, rhubarb and um, vanilla bean and milk bar. Do this amazing white chocolate crumb, this milk crumb, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which has got like powdered milk, white chocolate, and you make this really sugary biscuit and you crunch it all up. And so you do that with like poached fruit, milk chocolate crumb, sour baked custard. It is. One of my favorite desserts of all time.
0: That sounds glorious. So I'll good. Have that. Yeah, send me I'm going to send, send you the recipe.
1: <laughs>
0: What's your show And in you can also
1: juice your bergamots oh, too and freeze them in ice cubes.
0: Oh, great idea. Because mm, really, they're so really
1: seasonal. So I usually yeah. do that with my leftover bergamots. Um, I'll juice them into ice cubes and then put them in a bag and then you can just use them all year round.
0: Clever, and then you've got them mm. for your custard for later.
1: Yes. Speaking <laughs> of custard, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you uh you were also posting this week on Instagram about comfort food, which got me thinking about my favorite comfort food, which is mm. basically anything that comes from a bakery, um, but usually something also filled with custard. Uh-huh. Um, and so my show and tell is my favorite. Bakery cookbook. I thought I'd share this with you. Yes. Um, um, this is my all-time favorite. Burke mm. Street Bakery in Sydney is the I, I I'm gonna call it, I think it's the best bakery in Australia. It's my really? favourite. It's my personal favourite.
2: Wow. Um,
1: I know that's a big call. But it's a big call. they're they're um they're I'm going to show a picture. Um, They do these tarts, which are a ginger brulee custard tart. And it's my favourite thing ever.
2: (laughs) Um, And so I've got some
1: bergamots in the fridge too. So I'm going to do this ginger brulee tart with the bergamot juice. So it's like sour custard ginger with the brulee on top.
0: Oh right, well let me know how it goes.
1: <laughs> That's inspired that me with with the comfort good. food. But yes, this book is so good. Do you have this book?
0: I you don't actually. Um, <gasps> what? Yeah. And I've never been. What? So, or, okay, I we're going know. to Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have
1: so many places to go. I know. I think next season we need sponsorship. If anyone's listening and you would like <laughs> to sponsor season two of Cream Eggs and Jam please contact us so that we can go travelling around Australia and have fun times.
0: That's right. We need a travel budget mostly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, high on the priority list.
0: Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for our season finale. Both Scotty and I have a bottle of champagne to finish off air. Um, (laughs) If you have uh, any desires for... Um, a later season of of Cream Eggs and Jam, or if you have any particular feedback that you would like to give us about season one, um, please be in touch. We are open ears for feedback. Uh, We want to create something that our listeners love. So your feedback is very important.
1: Yes, we have really enjoyed uh, putting this podcast together. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a big learning curve. Um, So we would love you to show our support. Go to our YouTube channel and like and subscribe to the channel. It helps us a lot um and please get in contact with us we are planning season two and Mm. so we want to know everything that you would like to know and delve into a bit more detail so that we can nerd up and you know i i've really enjoyed going down the rabbit hole of so many amazing topics but i feel we've only just touched the surface
0: absolutely and scotty i have a surprise (gasps) what speaking of Favorite bakeries, speaking of Bake Off, I've been trying to uh, organize an interview with someone from last year's season of Great British Bake Off who I think is hilarious. So you might be in store for a Baker's Dozen episode of Cream Eggs and Jam (laughs) (laughs) to to follow this one maybe maybe next week. Uh, So although this is the season finale, hold on for an encore.
1: Oh my gosh, I love a good encore mm. and bakery. What's not to love about that? Stay tuned. I'm excited.
0: Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Happy baking. Happy baking. You've been listening to cream, eggs, and jam. I'm Elise Pulbrook and you can find me on Instagram at Elise underscore foodperson. And
1: I'm Scott Bagnall, and you can find me on Instagram at SSBagnall. If you'd like to send us your show and tell, you can email us scottyandelise at gmail.com.
0: Or if you'd like the visual experience of this podcast, you can find us on YouTube at Cream Eggs and Jam.
1: Have a great day.
0: Happy baking.